Welcome to the Happy Hangout. I'm Christy Darty, and I have a special guest today with us, Chris Legg. He is my pastor and a licensed counselor. He has, I'll let you tell him all about yourself. So you go ahead and uh, oh, okay. give, us, give us all the juicy details. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, uh, again, yeah, like you said, Chris Legg, and I am the uh, lead pastor at South Spring. And then I am the owner and operator at Alathia Family Counseling Center. Um, where we have a whole bunch of therapists of all different, all different types. And uh, uh, so you can, you can, again, for your listeners or watchers, they can look those up at southspring.org or at alatheacounseling.com. And, uh, and then I'm also been married 27 years or so and have five kids. And, uh, and so these are, these are the main, most important things in my life. Uh, so there you go. That's me. There's a, Absolutely. There's a lot more, but I don't want to take up any more time there. There's a lot more. <laughs> so Chris, um, you may not know this, but uh, years ago, I mean, like um, probably about 15 years ago, my husband and I had gone through like a really hard time in our marriage and we had been invited to a group called Couples Connect and you were there and um, you just, they had different speakers and you happened to be there. And it was an intimate group of like six people. And Thanks. you shared, you shared with us and my husband and I were so drawn to your style of teaching. Hmm. You know, I just love the way you, just the way, well, you're a licensed counselor, you, you know, <laughs> you, mm -hmm. you don't make people feel judged. You know, you're like, okay, people have problems, you know? Oh, and right. so that night, I mean, especially my husband feeling a connection was a big deal because um, I don't know, sometimes men have a hard time, you know, admitting that, you know, yes, yes. <laughs> So um, after, yeah, that really touched us that night. And so several years went by and we kind of had heard of you here and there. I was, I can't remember exactly what happened, how I got reconnected with you. I knew you had a counseling center. And so someone had told me to go visit Millie, one of the, one of the, one of the people that worked with you. And uh, she was wonderful. And I knew you were there and I always was drawn to you. And there's just something magnetic about you. So I would look out in the lobby and you had some different reading materials that you'd written before. And I was like, that's so cool. That's so cool. I think we may have gone to Pine Cove um, camp probably. and you may have been a speaker there. Cause I know you did a lot of stuff there. I'm probably not. still do. I do. Um, anyway, so I'm trying to wrap up the story, but uh, how long have you been at South Spring? Coming up on nine years in a couple of weeks, it'll be nine years. Can you imagine Are you that? serious? No. Yeah. So nine years ago, my husband and I, we needed to go see somebody. We we're like, okay, we just got to talk this out. We need someone to be the middleman. And so I've always thought counseling was so healthy. You know, it's just a, to me, it should be a normal way of life for everyone. Yeah. Um, so we, <laughs> I went to your office and I asked the secretary, is there any way we can see Chris Lake? Cause I know my husband would respond. And she said, no, I'm sorry. He's not taking anybody new. And I said, I, I will do anything <laughs> to go see Chris Lake. And she said, oh, you know, he just won't. And I said, listen, whatever you have to do, please call me if there's any kind of openings. And so somehow she got us in to see you. And that was another connection. I felt like, okay, this is, this is really, it's, I don't know. There's just something about you that my husband responds to. So mm -hmm. we, I ended up sitting in the lobby and I was again, looking at your materials and I'm like, this guy's going to do something. This, you are not the pastor at our church. No, I was like, yeah. this guy, I mean, I don't know what he's going to do, but he's going to do something big. And then it wasn't a week later and it was announced you're going to be a pastor of our church. I was like, oh, I 
it just like I'd have had goosebumps. It was just crazy. So anyway, I don't, you probably didn't know that, but that was I, just. I okay. didn't know it from that direction. No, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. A little story about that. Well, my followers and listeners, um, I, I reached out and asked them, what kind of questions would you like to ask my pastor? Okay. And so I know you're good on the fly and like on the spot. So I'm just going to start if that's okay. And just sure, jump in. Yeah. Okay. So I have a lady. She, I can't remember where she's from. I think she's from, um, England. And she said, should the church aim to go back to what we've been used to for years, or should we use the pandemic pandemic to springboard us to a new way of worshiping that might reach more people? Oh no, no, believe me, that's not a new question for me. <laughs> um, I've been asking myself that for a while. You know, we were, we've been talking for a long time about taking, do having a more online presence <clears throat> as a church since long before the pandemic. In fact, ironically, not ironically, providentially, um, we were planning to, to have our first fully online service Easter of this year. So the first Sunday that was supposed to be a test run is the week we canceled. We had to cancel in-person services. So our lead worship pastor, John Redfern, had, he had already purchased all the supplies they had set it up and that Sunday was supposed to be the first test run and it was essentially on Friday going hey could we make this not the first test run and just make it the first run which you know AV and, and IT people love that <laughs> but what that meant was we had all the stuff in place he had already gathered the leaders and, and teachers and people to make that happen so so we'd stalled on that for a long time because of some of these questions and what is it going to mean long term so to answer your friend's question, the answer is yes. Um, we need to continue to do church to one degree or another, the way it's been done for the last 2,000 years, um, and the way even the Jews were in many ways gathering before that as a, as a community gathering, um, where we're there together in person, able to engage, able to touch and see and converse and eat and drink together and sing together where we can hear each other's voices, all of that. And continue to reach out in this way because my, my, with online, with um, new experiences like that, with meetings like this, Zoom meetings and, and whatever other software comes into existence to expand this stuff. And I, I am not a big fan of false dichotomies. And so I think even the way that when you ask the question, should we do this or do that? Um, my answer is going to be, I think that's a false dichotomy. I think we can take what is good about any of it and do that. Um, there's a risk. And that is that we do discover that there are some dichotomies. And so, for example, if we discover people don't. Okay, so uh, tell me, say it in the dumb version. Okay. Dichotomy is. <laughs> Meaning two things that that contradict each other, okay. so you can't do both that way. And okay. so, um, the staff at the church laughs about when we go speak at we go speak or hear at a conference, and like uh, we went and heard a speaker talk to a bunch of pastors about you know pastors you need to hire doers not thinkers, and may not know his point, but I was I told our staff like I try to hire doing thinkers. I don't I don't think doing and thinking has to be a contradiction. That's a silly contradiction. Doers who aren't thinkers are dangerous and thinkers who aren't doers aren't going to get anything done. Why would you want that? I want thinking doers. 
I want to take what is best about what the church has been doing from the time it was a handful of Greeks and Jews trying to meet together in someone's home, hiding from the Romans, all the way up through to the megachurch movement, and take what's good about all of those and apply it, and what's right and biblical, and how that applies online and on recording and all of that. So we'll probably, you'll probably start seeing, if you watch South Spring live, before long, you'll start seeing probably an intro that is one of our pastors saying, hey, if we've not seen you in a while, it's time for you to come see us. Like, it's, it's great to do this, and you need to do this, and if you're at risk during a pandemic, obviously that's different, but if you find yourself, you've, this, this is the third, fourth, fifth week in a row that you've been doing this only online, you probably need to, you know, yeah. get in the car. It's, it gets comfortable being at home. That's it's right. super, it's, and then once you get out of that routine, it's so hard to get back into going, you know, when you're like, oh, this is so easy. <laughs> but but it's a vital part of it. It really is. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. I have a couple other questions. Is that yeah, in there. okay? Um, so a lot of these are more on the counseling side, which I love. One thing I love about having a licensed counselor as a pastor is that, first of all, I love that you look out. I can see that you look out in the audience in the, in the audience, the church, I look out at the church. And honestly, I don't see any judgment. Like you, you know, everybody's going through something. They've been through something. And it, I, I see that you don't hold anybody, any judgment on anybody because of what they're going through. You know, That's I love that. That's, I love that. It's so cool to have a pastor like that. Okay. JJ says, what are some things that can be said to non-believers when they say, so tell me about this God thing. And they, so they can't shut you out. Like what, one thing I've learned also from you, and I, I wish I could, I wish I was an elegant, eloquent speaker like you are, hmm. and remember the things of what are the, the true things? Because you like interviewed atheists and you're not afraid to just have conversations. And I think about, you've had some real specific points of how can there not be a God because of this? How can there, you know, and you say it so, uh, just so real and like I'm having a conversation. Right. Now. Well, okay. So I think part of this conversation really is when you're talking to somebody who's not a Christian it, it is vitally important that they know that you will listen. Um, and, and where you always want to start is to find common ground. That's what the Apostle Paul did um, at, the, at Mars Hill, the, the hill of Ares or Mars in Athens. When he's talking to the Athenians, he starts with, here's where we have common ground. And so you have to find that out. And there's, you know, Christian, as Christians, we would teach there are common things about humans, things we all experience. And so that's where you want to start is to connect there with what you have in common. Um, very few people are argued into faith alone. <clears throat> you need to, we need to know all these answers and we need to know all the good arguments if you can. But part of it is there's always, if you find out from your friend, what is the, in the way? Like what are their top two or three questions? What are the top two or three issues they take? Well, then you don't have to know all the answers. Then you can research those conversations. And I promise you, there are people having those conversations. No one's come up with a new, you know, a new atheist or agnostic question in probably in 400 years. And so maybe in 2000 or more, but I'd say those are some really great ways to start is find out as narrowly as you can. So if they say, well, I just think the Bible contradicts itself. Okay. Fair enough. Where, how, 
like what are the specific ones and and they you know a lot of modern atheists they'll go cut and paste a website and send you the entire website and you know it has 900 verses on it and most of them are ridiculous and you go no no i don't need i, I need i need one maybe three just what are the main ones for you personally i don't i'm not i'm not here to debate infidels.org i'm here to discuss with you what are the barriers for you and then then you can research that and then you not only are you showing the rationality of the christian faith that we can discuss it it is meant to be discussed and debated and reasoned come let us reason together through these things but also that you care enough to interact with the questions they have that's a deadly combo uh, so to speak exactly and by deadly i mean life-giving combo when we can say here's I'm concerned about the same things. I'm concerned about you because you're concerned about these things. So I'm going to research them and look it up and look at books. And that's when you make a difference. Not when you're going, I can answer all the questions out there. Um, for most people that you're never going to have enough of a audience that your answers are going to have much impact. If somebody's looking for that, they're going to be watching William Lane Craig or, or Josh McDowell or someone like that who has that type of audience for us. For us to know what their specific, personal, even private concerns are with God, and then talk there about it. That's my request. Well, and I think it's so, um, I think sometimes as Christians, we get a little defensive, like what, you know, I remember a story that you told. Do you remember about when you went and posed as an atheist with the, oh, yeah. some, okay, can you tell that? Oh, gosh. I, so I've done that a lot of times over the years <clears throat> when I will go and be presented to a crowd. <clears throat> and nowadays, only for probably the last 20 years, I've only done young people because adults can't handle it. And so I'm introduced as an atheist and the audience thinks I really am an atheist. And it's a skit character that some friends and I created many, many years ago, um, named after one of my friends, whose name was Chris Driver. And so I play the role, we all had did that at times, we'd all play the role. And we'd ask questions, we ask a few questions, it's a very set pattern and people ask us questions. And I mean, without, it's funny when I go, when I speak on this to a student ministry group or a college ministry group, I will tell the leader, like, just be prepared for the fact that I'm going to be condemned to hell. Um, I'm going to be told, you know, what a horrible, evil person I am. Um, I've had people, I've had Christians, alleged Christians threaten to slash my tires, um, all kinds of crazy stuff in the name of trying to evangelize me, apparently. Uh, and so that's a big part of the lesson is you do need to know this. We are a rational truth-based faith. And as Ephesians 4 says, we have to learn to speak the truth in love. Um, those two things aren't contradictory. Again, false dichotomy. You, you need to be able to express the truth well, and you'd be able to do it in love. Um, and so I, I've received all kinds of fun abuse over the years <laughs> as an atheist. That's insane. Uh, <laughs> so secretly, are you kind of, giggling on the inside <laughs> well, every time every time I am. oh yeah you're like if you just only knew. oh yeah because the student minister or the college minister whoever the or the professor they they will tell me up front like that's not gonna happen and and then when it does i'm like uh-huh see this is how this works we just get scared it's as if we think we're defending the wizard of oz you know we think our job is to say hey pay no attention to the man behind the curtain when the truth is no, no, our faith is solid. It stands in truth. We're not, we're not afraid of any of the hard questions. I'm not afraid of my own doubts or anybody else's doubts. God does not need me to believe. And yeah, and I love that, you know, if, if you don't have the answer, 
you say, I don't have the answer. And that's okay for us to say that, you know, I'm still a believer. I still believe I have faith, but I don't know right. all the answers. So, yeah. Okay. So let's go to the next question. This is a, a question I have a lot because I don't know if you know what I do, but I teach um, hand lettering online and I, I do it through scripture. And um, so it's, I connect women through creativity and their faith. Excellent. And so what I'm learning is a lot of my followers are, um, have chronic illnesses. They can't go out and be with a group. And of course, this yeah. is before the pandemic when, you know, now everybody's at home a lot, but, uh, Sue said, how can those with depression and chronic illness best deal with the isolation due to COVID in addition to the isolation from the chronic illness? Yeah. Unfortunately. So things like chronic illness, anxiety, depression, all those things, those act as a tax, T-A-X, on our lives. And so, you know, if, if the average normal person, which doesn't exist, there's no such thing, but if we finally found an average normal person and whatever they have when they wake up in the morning after a good night's sleep with 100% of psychological energy, the things that come naturally to them will cost them no psychological energy, very little. The things that cost them that, are, that don't come naturally to them. So for me, going and teaching somewhere, um, going on a date with my wife, um, whatever it happens to be, those require no psychological energy for me. Those come naturally to me. They cost me zero and they often have a return. So I, I spend zero psychological energy points and get, to, get 20 points. Um, you've heard me teach on sexuality. This is one of the ways I teach on sex in churches is through this lens of of in psychological energy. But if my wife wants to go shopping for baby clothes or she wants to take me and look at different paint colors for the kitchen, that costs me psychological energy. I, I've, I have no passion for that. I love her and I will spend the 20 points of psychological energy that it costs me to go look at paint colors if I have it. Now, if it's the end of an exhausting day, I may not have it and I may just need to crash while she goes, but that's, that's so much of, of, of how we do things. So now, Chronic illness, chronic pain, uh, anxiety, depression, and other things like that. Imagine those representing a 10% tax on everything, a 20% tax on everything. For some people with chronic illness and especially chronic pain, almost 100% tax. Like, so if I have chronic pain and it would normally cost me 20 points to go look at paint colors with my wife, it's going to cost me 40 points. And so, I am handicapped in my ability to spend psychological energy. I'm going to run out of psychological energy really early every day. So the answer is, it's like having children. You know, children are psychological energy vampires. They're constantly sucking the psychological energy. They're never done with as babies and little kids. They always want more. And if we don't, if we're not really intentional about setting aside how we're going to spend our energy, our psychological energy, then the things that are most important to us won't happen. And so what I tell people, um, so a good friend of mine who has OCD and anxiety uh, uh, disorder, with OCD is an anxiety disorder, that, that it costs him an extra 15% everything he does. So something that would cost him zero, it may still cost him zero, or you may have to add some points onto there, but certainly something that costs him 10 is now going to cost him 1150, so to speak. Um, and so he just has to know he has to organize his life around spending that energy. 
So your friend who's asking that question, how do I handle isolation? The question is, that goes back would be, how do you prioritize community? Um, given that you have limited psychological energy resources. And so you're going to run out of energy. And so you've got to be more intentional about how you spend the energy you have. And if community is important to you, you're going to have to find ways to focus your energy on community, um, whether it's joining an online community, figuring out what are the easiest ways for you to get out of your house and, and hang out with people, especially if it somehow helps. So like if someone who has joint issues, you know, they've got joint issues, it may be that getting out and walking for 15 minutes every day is a good thing. It helps their joints be a little loosened up. Well, so what they need to do is have a friend come visit them every day and go walk with them for 15 minutes or five friends. So you have to learn, you're not, you're never going to balance these things. You have to learn to integrate concepts or prioritize them. And so community is important to me. So I have a group of men over every month to play cards. In a lot of months, I'm like, I'm good with this. I don't, I'm good this month. I don't need this. But then about the third hand, I find my heart rate going down, my shoulders slumping, mm-hmm. taking a little bit deeper breaths. And I'm realizing like, no, I, I need this. I need community. And of course, it's, it's community's never convenient. It's just good. Um, so you, it's, that's, that's my answer is there's not an easy solution. You have to prioritize it and then follow through with it and then make sure that when you spend your energy, you're spending it wisely. In fact, let me one more quick comment on that, Christy, is that means knowing the situation well enough. Um, you know, once you have kids, you can't, you don't have the financial or, or any other type of margin, including psychological energy to love your spouse with everything. And so I will tell people like, it's, I'd love to buy my wife all the flowers, uh, but I don't have the money to buy all the flowers. So I better buy her favorite flowers. Um, and so when we learn, that's what it means to, to intelligently use our margin, to use our energy. What's the most impactful? What matters the most? Would we, would we want to do it all? Yes. If you have chronic illness, you're not doing it all. You have anxiety. There's some days you can't do it all. You have depression. When you're depressed, by definition, depression means I don't have any psychological energy. That's what depression means. It's a, it is a measurement of psychological energy. So you have to make yourself do a few disciplines that will allow it. It's hard. It's hard. A Having someone through these things is important. A friend of mine, she, um, she knows that she, you know, has to spend her energy in a certain way. And so she'll say she has, um, I think 10 spoons every day. Mm-hmm. And so she'll say, I spent three spoons this morning going to the store. I, you know, I only have this much left. And by the end of the day, she knows I, I don't have any spoons left. I can't do anything else. So I think that's a cool visual for me anyway, since I'm a visual Great. person. Yeah. Get on. Yeah. And if she wants to have a date with her husband that night, or for most women, engaging sexually requires a certain amount of psychological energy. Because um, for men, it's typically integrated in their identity. And for women, typically it isn't. If she wants to seduce her husband that day, she better rearrange her day so there's a spoon left over. She better have a lot of spoons. A lot of spoons left over. That's funny. Okay, so JJ has another question. Okay, so let me tell a little bit of the story. How best can we help our friends that are depressed? Uh, yeah. We've seen we've suggested seeing a therapist, and if they don't go and they seem to be the same or worse, what do I do next? If we focused on the positive, let's read scripture together. Let's find the positive. They, and then they give you a laundry list of all their real problems. You know, what's a different route? 
<laughs> oh, she said one more thing. Who do I call if none of those work? No family here. APS is for elderly abuse. She is an elderly, only one abusing her mental state, and that's Satan. Mm. Um, yeah, the, none of the protection services are going to come in for abuse from Satan, sadly. Um, but um, depressed people avoid community because they think the community is going to cost them that stuff they don't have. And what they need usually more than anything else is community. Um, Cause if you're depressed psychologically, I mean, if you're just mentally depressed, if your serotonin and norepinephrine and dopamine levels aren't proper, then you're going to be depressed. There, there are external ways, friendships, um, helping other people, exercising, doing work that you can see the consequence of and religious activities. Those are the five, five main non-medical ways to fight depression. Um, and so if you help them do those things, especially in community, the body will react to that. You may also have to do some work on boundaries. Um, when you have a friend who has a mental illness like depression or something else, and they won't get help, the problem is you can't be responsible for their mental well-being. They have to be. You can come alongside them and you can help them. Um, and so as hard as it is, you may have to insist at some point, listen, as depressed as you are, I have an article on my website, chrismleg.com, um, about like when you have someone who threatens suicide. Um, and, and there are ways you have to deal with that properly and have to understand that. And so when someone's depressed enough that they're ruining their life, you may literally have to come to the point of saying, I would love to do this or that but I'm not going to until you have also got a therapist because a lot of times depressed people will try to turn their friends into their therapists. They don't mean to do that. They're just right. looking for a lifeline. And the problem is they need a therapist and they need a friend. And it's really, really tough to be both for the same person. Um, over time, a therapist obviously can develop a friendship with a client. That's normal. That happens and is healthy, can be healthy. Um, but fundamentally they're still a therapist. And so there's different kind of guidelines for that and versus of what a friend is. And so I think people need friends and they need therapists and someone who needs a therapist, a friend can't be that. Just like a therapist can't replace the concept of, even if you become a friend, even if client and therapist are friends, which again, normal over time, but you're not replacing friendships. You can't become their main friend. They need friends and we all need friends and we need community and you may have to, at some level, kind of insist, like, I no, it's, it's time. I'm, I'm not going to be a good therapist for you. And right now, because I'm trying to be your therapist, I can't be a good friend for you. So I, we need to find you a counselor, and that will allow me to be your friend. Um, and most people will get that. They'll get behind that idea. Um, we'll find you a good I, counselor. We'll try 20 if we have to. Yeah, yeah. I'm really open about sharing my story of depression and anxiety. I've struggled with on and off, you know, my lifetime. But um, one thing that I find myself doing when I'm depressed is, I mean, I could have dishes like overflowing in the sink and I literally physically cannot move my body to go do them. And I'm thinking, why can't I, I'm so, I cannot, I, it's so overwhelming that I just can't do anything because it's, it's, and that sounds so crazy, but I know there's people who can't get out of bed. What is something that you would say to them? Um, 
So if you're, if you, if you're dealing with somebody, one, I would love to encourage you on our, at southspring.org, we have a, there's a sermon that we always keep near the top. It's on suicide is what it says, but it's not just suicide. It is, I'm looking to make sure real quick. Um, okay. And I will put your information in the show notes so people can look you up and find these articles too. Um, and so it's not just suicide, it's depression and suicide. And, um, you know, I, I, I believe David, King David went through phases of depression. Um, so I'm seeing real quick if I can find it. So we have a few, like there's a sermon called The Struggle is Real about depression and suicide, especially depression. Psalm 100, it's called Psalm 142, um, a discussion of suicide. And um, Psalm 142, if I remember correctly, is the one that teaches that, that actually probably it, it may be where we even get the concept of, of depression. Um, yeah, this is it. Let's see if I can find the exact. The, um, okay, the, the word in verse 6, attend to my cry for I am brought very low. In the Hebrew there, the word very low means indented. Um, like a metal thing that has a dent in it, indented. In other words, a depression. And, and by definition, what you feel when you're depressed is, is like you're being held down by something. And so when you're depressed, what I mean by psychological energy is at zero, you feel like you're held down. You're like, I mm-hmm. cannot motivate myself right now. You know? If you authentically cannot, then don't. You, you have to seek help to get you out of there. So what you have to do is somehow reach out. Um, yeah, and you have to understand that there's a certain biological aspect of that. Now, a lot of times you really, 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 really don't want to. It's like getting up and doing the dishes is going to cost you 110% of your whole day's allotment of energy. Um, but what you discover very often with depression is if you will get up and get dressed, for example, or fix your hair or take a shower, well, suddenly you realize I'm actually not at zero. Actually, now I feel like I have 10 points of energy. I was like, I zero. can do this now. Yeah. Yeah. Now I can spend these 10 points. I could do something. Well, then you spend those 10 and you're like, actually, I feel like I have no more like 30 points now all of a sudden because depression is, tr- it is an honest to goodness mental illness, but it also has an illusory aspect, um, which is if you get, if you, once you start making tiny steps, each of those steps, it's like it's revealing more energy than you knew you had. Now, sometimes you just can't do it, in which case you just reach out for help. Somebody else is going to have to come sit with you and hold your hand and, and help you. And, and, and them coming may motivate you. Um, I tease people because as humans, we're, we're such funny creatures. So um, a few years ago, I started having some pre-diabetes symptoms. My vision was, was weirdly changing and, and I would get really tired after meals. And, and some of that, when I looked it up, I was like, oh, shoot, that's that's bad. I don't need to, but I couldn't lose weight. Like I couldn't make myself lose weight. I would do good for a day or two. And then, you know, someone would show up with a donut and I eat four of them. It's like, I couldn't. So I had to set up a deal where it would cost me hundreds of dollars to not lose a certain amount of weight. So isn't it funny that self-control meant looking better, feeling better, all these different things, none of those could motivate me. But the embarrassment of having to pay someone a few hundred dollars for failing to reach a goal, somehow that motivates <laughs> That's just because we're jacked up people. 
sometimes you have to set up, especially if you're, if you're depressed or something, you have to set up a system that will motivate you because you otherwise aren't going to have the motivation. And so I have clients who are depressed who schedule intentionally for people to come visit them on certain times because they know I'm not going to get up. But if they know this person's coming over, it's like, well, I have to get up. Mm -hmm. So then they suddenly do. And it turns out a lot of times we can kind of fool ourselves into doing what we thought was impossible. And sometimes that helps us feel better. So anyway. One thing I... One thing I also suggest for my listeners is journaling is so healing for me. I don't know if you, I mean, I feel like if I can think, write down every thought, no matter what it is, good, bad, ugly, I can breathe a little bit better. Oh gosh, expression is, it's so important because otherwise they lock up in your brain and they become self-creating. It's the, um, uh, ruminism, uh, rumination. When you, chew things and you just, you just chew it, chew it, chew it, swallow it and spit it back up and chew it, chew it, chew it, swallow it. And it gets nastier and uglier the more you focus on it. But if you'll write it down or paint it in place or whatever it is that you can do expression wise, seeing it into existence. Tell us something. Um, Cause the, my podcast is called happy hangout. And so yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and the, the point of this is like, there's some ugly, ugly, and we want to get that ugly out so we can work on our happiness. Yeah. And I think one way for me is to take, to put my focus on other people. And yeah. so that way I forget about, you know, my junk. Yep. So what are some things that you would say that, um, I don't know, make you happy to do for someone else. And I know for yourself that having your poker nuts are super fun and, mm-hmm. but you may, what are some other things that bring you joy? Hanging with your family, I'm sure, is one. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I actually, I actually think the main skill set that keeps me from dealing much with depression um, outside of just biochemical stuff is that I, I intentionally create things for me to look forward to in my own life. But a lot of that for me is getting to do something for someone else. I love surprising people with cool things. I love giving people a creative gift. I know that's one of your great talents, too. Um, it's part of why I like taking people to Israel is because mm-hmm. I get to get all giddy about like, you know, where you're standing right now. You'll never believe where you're standing. right <laughs> now. And I get to stare like, this is where this happened. And they're like, people freak out. And um, I love bringing things to life for people. That's, that's one of my major fun favorite things. And it's one of the things I can do for people is to take um, something that has been rote or boring or, or confusing or whatever and and unpack it in a way that allows them to really sink their teeth into it to feel it and smell it and touch it and um and that's so that's why i love teaching people i love discipling people but i'm a big fan of saying um what little things can you look forward to every day it's it is important Mm. that we give ourselves little things to look forward to and usually those are going to be community-based every day what are slightly bigger things every week? What are the really big ones every year that you go, oh, man, because that way you can borrow joy is borrowing happiness from the future. And so if I'm sitting in a meeting and I'm just like, oh, this is just tedious, but I read out loud to my wife, Ginger, every night. And so we get in bed and we snuggle up and I read out loud to her. And that's like the highlight of a lot of my days and I have a good life. And so to read out loud to her, if I'm in a terrible meeting or a boring time, I can go, well, I've got that later or hanging out with my kids this weekend or going on a trip with the family. I can, or poker nights and a couple of nights or whatever. That's my, those, those bring me great joy and excitement. 
And I think anyone can schedule their life in such a way that the things that bring them joy, which as you said, usually means bringing somebody else joy. I mean, what I, what I love about poker is I love what it does for me, but I love all the men going, oh my gosh, I needed this. Thank you for scheduling this. And how often they'll say, I need to do this. You know what? I need to do this. Mm-hmm. Then they don't. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so it's like the next month they show up again and they're like, oh, I didn't do it. Like, nope, but you've got mine. You can come here and do it here. So um, I think that's huge. Very cool. Thank um, you. And yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate you coming on and spending your time with us. And thanks for the free counseling session. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's right.